Okay, it is the start of the Christmas season, so we start our Christmas talks. We've only got two, and then it's family carols, and then it's worship fest, and then we don't have one. We never have a service between Christmas and the new year, um, because we would just encourage people to be off with families, friends, neighbours, whoever. So we just take that Sunday off. But we have these two, two main sessions. And what I would like to look at is a, uh, a bit from Luke, Luke chapter 1. So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke and John tell the story of the life of Jesus from four different perspectives. And this is Luke. So he was a, he was a GP, he was a doctor. And he decided he would make a very orderly account of everything that happened in Jesus' life, went off and did some research. So Father God, we, we place ourselves deliberately open before you. We, we want to hear from you. And God, as I speak words, I pray they're words that um, mean something. They're words that are from you that have got life attached to them. We deliberately make ourselves open-hearted right now. We want to learn. We want to be changed. We don't want to learn in our heads. We want to be changed in our hearts. We don't want to add to our knowledge. But instead, we want our character developed. We want a greater revelation of who you are so that it changes us from the inside out. Thank you, Lord. Um, we were saying earlier, I haven't really got time to say this, but I'm going to say it because I feel prompted to. We were saying earlier, we have a, people get here early, anyone who's on team kind of thing for the, for the morning. Uh, and we always have a little briefing at about nine, just like, okay, this is what's going on. You know. And one of the things um, I ended up mentioning this morning, I led the briefing this morning, was about Nicola Neal, who came two weeks ago. Who, who was here for Nicola Neal in any way? Okay, most of you. Okay, good, that's good. And there's a load of... Um, uh, teaching as well that she did on the Saturday which has been made available we emailed out to people if you didn't get their email come and find us but we emailed out with a link to how you can access that and the usual Sunday podcast accessible all that stuff but what we ended up saying about Nicola Neal I said it to Nick this week um, I said you know what she must have spoken in total for a few hours and we listened to her in the evening as well and said, but you know what the most memorable thing about her is? It's not what she said, but it's who she was that stuck with us. Her love for Jesus was so contagious. I would actually go as far as to say she was slightly obsessive. And I reckon it made his day. Because she, you could hardly mention the name Jesus without her tearing up. Because she invests in that relationship. We met up with her later on that week, actually, after she'd come. We had to go away with uh, work with Vineyard to the area thing. And we ended up going fairly near to where she lives. And we messaged her and she said, oh, I'd love to come and meet you. So we met in this crummy old hotel foyer, um, pine furniture, no lights on. It was lovely. Um, your cup stuck to the table, one of those, you know the type? Anyway, we met with her then and she said, my husband, is the second most important man in my life, and he knows it, and he's quite happy with it. Like, wow. I mean, honestly, she, she is a, she's an amazing lady, and do you know what? She thinks she is so utterly ordinary. She said, all I do is I love him, and I do what he tells me to do, that's it. I don't know what I'm doing half the time. She's honestly like this, doesn't know what she's doing. That's what she says. She's telling us, she was telling us when we went to see her some of the 
some of the things that God has said to her, and we, we're open-mouthed. Wow. But the thing that stuck with us was her love for God, her love for him. Oh, my word. It was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. She's been such an inspiration. Um, I noticed also she reposted some of her stuff on social media as well. Said, any of my friends in Kent, you need to get along to this church because God's doing something there. Like, we'll have that. Thanks. Um, okay, so anyway, this is from Luke. During the reign of King Herod the Great over Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah who served in the temple as part of the priestly order of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a family of priests, being a direct descendant of Aaron. They were both lovers of God, living virtuously and following the commandments of the Lord fully, but they were childless since Elizabeth was barren, and now they were quite old. One day, while Zechariah's priestly order was on duty and he was serving as priest, it happened by the casting of lots, according to the custom of the priesthood, that the honour fell, fell upon Zechariah to enter into the holy place and burn incense before the Lord. A large crowd of worshippers had gathered outside, had gathered to pray outside the temple at the hour when incense was being offered. And Paul's there, we'll carry on the story in a minute. So you basically got this old couple, not my language, Bible's language, they're over 60, it's believed, somewhere between 60 and 70. Please don't take the label of old. I'm telling you, that's just what the Bible says. So this old couple and Zechariah would have done uh, probably a week or two weeks in the year when it was the turn of his priestly order to go and minister before the Lord in the temple, right? Um, And then, as it happened, by the casting of Lot, he was then the guy that had to go in or had the chance to go in and burn incense on the altar before the Lord. So what they had at that time was a temple. So it was built originally by Solomon, and the temple was where God was housed. That's where his presence was. So you had an outer court, uh, like outside, there's like a low wall, um, and that was for Gentiles, so people who weren't Jews, because God, the Jews were God's people, still are God's people. And then you went into the court where that's as far as women were allowed to come. And, and then you went into this next court. That's where the priests went, etc. Eventually, you went inside. You stopped being outside. You went inside. And you arrived at an altar of incense. And incense was burned before the Lord. The other side of that altar of incense was a veil. Now, this building was tall. Probably at least the height of this whole building. Maybe twice, maybe even three times the height of this ceiling here. So beyond the altar of incense was a veil from floor to ceiling, and the other side of that, the other side of that was the Holy of Holies. Priests went in there once a year, rope tied around the ankle. If they pegged it while they were in there, because God's presence was so incredibly strong, no one else was going in. They got dragged out by their ankle, by the rope. That's not a joke. That's what they did. This wasn't that. This was the next one out. Zechariah goes in, and he burns. He burns incense. Um, he burns incense before the Lord. That's where he is. So that massive veil that was between the altar of incense and the holy of holies, where God's presence was, the mercy seat stuff. I haven't got time to go into that ark of the covenant. His presence in there. That was the veil that was torn in two when Jesus died. You just need to. That's really, really important. And it wasn't torn in two from bottom to top. It was torn in two from top to bottom. The Bible says. Like Jesus, God, rather, ripped that curtain 
and said, now you can all access my presence because of what my son has done. No longer will I inhabit a building, I will inhabit my people. So when you say yes to Jesus, he comes and makes his home in you by his Holy Spirit, which is incredible uh, and really good news. Uh, So Zechariah, sorry, all at once an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing just to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was startled and overwhelmed with fear, but the angel reassured him saying, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God is showing grace to you. For I have come to tell you that your prayer for a child has been answered. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to name him John. His birth will bring you much joy and gladness. Many will rejoice because of him, blah, blah, blah. And he goes on to tell him all about what John will do. Zechariah asked the angel, how do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man and my wife is too old to give me a child. What sign can you give me to prove that this will happen? Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand beside God himself and he has sent me to announce to you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe my words, you'll be stricken silent and unable to speak until the day my words have been fulfilled at their appointed time and a child is born to you. This will be your sign. In brackets, sunshine. So what you have is the angel has now said, given a, given a promise, and then immediately there is a questioning from Zechariah, and if God's promises are going to come to pass, then you need to silence some of the doubt and the unbelief. So the angel gives the promise from God to Zechariah. Zechariah immediately then starts speaking doubt over it. And the angel says, oh, gosh, 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 we're going to have to do something about this. You know, I'm not saying God does that for all of us, but in that particular situation, it was necessary. So we're going to come back to Zechariah um, in, in just a minute. So what happens? The crowds are outside and they were amazed over Zechariah's delay, wondering what could have happened inside the sanctuary. When he finally did come out, he tried to talk but couldn't speak a word. And they realized from his gestures that he'd seen a vision in the holy place. He remained mute as he finished his days of priestly ministry in the temple and then went back to his own home. So the reason the crowds are gathered outside is because he comes to deliver um, the blessing that you find in Numbers chapter 6, I think it is, right back at the beginning in the Bible, which is this. And many of you will go, oh, I've heard this before. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And that was the blessing that he was supposed to be coming out and giving. And then he opens his mouth and nothing happens. And instead he has to start gesticulating and gesturing that he's seen a big angel thing and and he's freaked out and all, all that sort of thing. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for the next five months. She said with joy... See how kind it is of God to gaze upon me and take away the disgrace of my barrenness. Isn't that kind? I love that. Switching stories. During the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel, again, was sent from God's presence to an unmarried girl named Mary, living in Nazareth, a village in Galilee. She was engaged to a man named Joseph, a true descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her Honestly, Gabriel, we don't know what Gabriel does for most of the Bible. 
and then he comes up twice in one chapter. I mean, bless him. Talk about you for such a time as this. Gabriel, come on. Here's your moment. He's been polishing his shoes for I don't know how many years. This is it. Um, and he says, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Grace to you, young woman, for the Lord is with you. And so you are anointed with great favour. Mary was deeply troubled over the words of the angel and bewildered over what this could mean for her. But the angel reassured her, saying, Don't yield to your fear, Mary. For the Lord has found delight in you and has chosen to surprise you with a wonderful gift. You will become pregnant with a baby boy and you are to name him Jesus. He will be supreme. He will be known as the son of the highest and the Lord God will enthrone him as king on his ancestor David's throne. He will reign as king. And so this angel goes on. Mary said, how can this happen? I'm still a virgin. Gabriel answered, the spirit of holiness will fall upon you and almighty God will spread his shadow of power over you in a cloud of glory. This is why the child born to you will be holy and he'll be called the son of God. What's more, your aged aunt Elizabeth has also become pregnant with a son. The barren one is now in her sixth month. Not one promise from God is empty of power for nothing is impossible with God. Not one promise from God is empty of power for nothing is impossible with God. Then Mary responded saying, this is amazing. I will be a mother for the Lord. As his servant, I accept whatever he has for me. May everything you have told me come to pass. And the angel left her. Afterwards, Mary arose and hurried off to the hill country of Judea to the village where Zechariah and Elizabeth lived. Arriving at their home, Mary entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the moment she heard Mary's voice, the baby within Elizabeth's womb jumped and kicked and suddenly Elizabeth was filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. This is an awesome moment that has just happened. So Elizabeth's pregnant, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth's pregnant, she's six months pregnant. Gabriel then does his next job. He goes and visits Mary and says, basically the, the, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's how you're gonna become pregnant. It's got nothing to do with Joseph, immaculate conception and all that stuff. There's a good reason for that, which we haven't got time to go into. Anyway, she then decides, I'm going to run off and visit Elizabeth because the angel has made a point of saying, Elizabeth, the barren one, is no longer barren. She's in her sixth month of being pregnant. So she runs off there. She walks in the door, says, hello, Elizabeth. At the moment she says, hello, Aunt Elizabeth. The baby inside Elizabeth, John the Baptist, kicks, turns over, kicks, Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit in a moment. I mean, Jesus was probably like that big. But the presence of God walks in that room and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit in a moment. Absolutely incredible. And then basically she goes off on one, Elizabeth does. Mary, you're a woman given the highest favour and privilege above all others. For your child is destined to bring God great delight. How did I deserve such a remarkable honour? And she, she just starts to prophesy. And then Mary, Mary sings back. When you're normal, you talk. When you're dying, you whisper. When you've got more than your heart can contain, you sing. And Mary sings back. It's called her Magnificat. And basically, she just starts singing about how fortunate she is, how blessed she is to have the King of Kings growing on the inside of her. 
So there's a, just a couple of things. We haven't got long, but a couple of things I just want to draw our attention to here. You've got two sets of promises really going on. You've got Zechariah, who, bless him, it looks like he's been praying for years and years and years and years. Any barrenness of womb, any barrenness, in those days you were considered um, overlooked by God. God obviously doesn't like you much. And you've obviously done something wrong at some point in your life that means you're barren. So there was a great shame and disgrace that went with barrenness. So they will have been praying for years and years and years and years. And I love the fact that the angel came and said, God has heard your prayers. That he may well have been praying for 40, 50 years for a baby, for a child. And the angel came and said, God has heard you. And I want to say to some of you, maybe you've been praying for something for a long while. Maybe it's to see a relative come to know Jesus. Maybe it's for breakthrough with your health. I don't know what. And I can't wave some magic wand and tell you everything's going to be all right. But I can tell you this. God has heard you. God has heard your prayer. That's what the angel came to say. First thing, Zechariah, God has heard your prayer. Your wife will become pregnant. Now, Zechariah's response is really interesting. Because Zechariah's response, on the first hand, sounds a little bit like Mary's. He kind of, he kind of says, what? <laughs> Same. Gabriel goes to Mary and says, you're going to have this baby, the Messiah, living on the inside of you. And Mary goes, <laughs> very similar. But in actual fact, there's such a difference. Mary, Mary was open-hearted and said, how, how, how can this be? It's not coming from a place of unbelief. It's coming from a, you know, you, you got the right, you know I'm a virgin, right? I can't, I, I'm not going to be having a baby anytime soon. Um, not even married yet. We're only, we're only engaged at the moment. The difference is, when Gabriel turned up at, with Zechariah, Zechariah, Zechariah had lost something of the freshness of regular intimate encounters with God. So, you know like a dry, crusty sponge. I don't know whether people have sponges as much these days. I'm not talking about like the, 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 the ones you do the work surface with. I'm talking about a bath sponge. And you know that if you leave them too long, they start to go a bit brown, don't they? And a bit crusty. Yes, anyone ever seen one? Obviously not in your house in a relative's house. And you see as you slightly look down your nose at them as you've walked away. But those, those sponges, they go slightly brown and crusty. And the thing is, I believe that Zechariah had let his heart become like that sponge. And it doesn't absorb water anymore. It's become dry and crusty. So the freshness of God stops being present. So he had that, he had that promise. And maybe he was given that promise by God. Maybe he'd started praying for this. Like I say, let's go minimum 40 years he's been praying for this. And I think that probably what's happened is Zechariah has written it in his promise book or in his prayer book. And then to be entirely honest, he's probably done this with it and he's taken the book 
and he's just filed it away. Maybe he hasn't even looked at it for 30 years. And the thing is, that's not how promises work with God. That's not how God works. Because what starts to happen is we need to remember God is not slow in keeping his promises. God is not slow. He longs to fulfill his promises. And the vast majority of the time when God isn't fulfilling the promise that we think or the prayer that we've prayed, it's because there's a human in the way. And I'm really sorry to disappoint you, but most of the time, it's probably the person you see in the mirror is in the way. At least that's what it is with me. So God is saying, I am ready to fulfill your prayer. I am, I'm, I've heard you. I am waiting to answer. I am desperate to answer. But there needs to be a responsiveness from us that is available to be able to receive that prayer, that promise. Let me put it this way. Far more important than the prayer that you've prayed is the position you take up while you're waiting. Are you going to just file that promise, that prayer away? Just file it away in a bookshelf and not talk about it again, not think about it again? Or are you going to keep bringing it up before the Lord? Not in a, God, I want a baby, God, I want a baby, God, I want a baby, God, I want a baby. God's got like, shh, 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 I heard you. I heard you the first time. I love you. I know what you, I know what you want. But so often what is needed is for us to receive a promise. We need to reposition ourselves. I've had it over and over again where I am in the way of God fulfilling his answer to me. One of the biggest ones, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is enormous. God has zero tolerance for it, to be entirely honest. That doesn't mean he's angry over it. It just means there is no option. And forgiveness can be incredibly hard, and my word, God knows that. But he says, if I'm going to be able to forgive you, you have got to extend that forgiveness to other people. It can be so, so painful. And certainly, you never do the job that I do if it's a popularity competition. And there's always plenty of people on the forgiving list. Here's another one. Before God can answer our promises, our faith needs to grow. God says, actually, there's still some work to do. I've had this before over finances and things, where I've said, oh, I trust you, God. Come on, God. More money. I trust you. And then you get quite low, and then you start to realize that you're reacting in fear. And God says, I thought you said you trusted me. Well, I, I, I do, God. I do. I do. But I can tell I don't because I'm in a right strop. And, uh, and I, I, I can tell I'm just not at peace over this at all. And what should be going off in your head is a woo, woo, woo. It's like something's wrong here. And God, God's saying, I, I know this is wrong. I'm trying to help you come into more life. And I've had to let this situation arise in this way so that you can see what's on the inside of you and bring it to me. And let's deal with this together. So it can be some of those things sometimes that get in the way. So what can happen is that if we pray something, if we have a promise from God, particularly one we've been waiting on a while, it gets filed and we stop being soft. We become like that crusty sponge. And we need the water of the Holy Spirit to keep us soft and malleable in his hands. Because he loves to hold us in his hands. He loves to tend to us in that way. 
Sometimes you can be old without having to be old. Some of you will know this. You can be old when you're 30. Because yes, there's a numerical age, but the kind of, if there were such a thing, oldness of heart that we're talking about here has got very little to do with age. And pretty much everything to do with attitude in here. This oldness of heart, this becoming dry and crusty, this stop being supple before God. The Welsh revival, a revival is when God pours out his spirit in such a way that lives become transformed. So you're talking about pubs closing, prisons emptying, people wanting to say yes to Jesus, all kinds of incredible miracles happening. We're talking something extraordinary. It happened in Wales in 1904 to 1905. It wasn't actually Evan Roberts who with whom it started, but he is the one generally uh, known in this revival. And that's because he was the one that decided this needed to be transported around. So it was his name. He was 26. George Whitfield, who was an incredible, effectively a revivalist in history, 23, 23 years old. The Wesley brothers, John and Charles, probably very early 20s, possibly even late teens when they started, still got acne. In fact, this is a book about um, Evans. He says this, he very quickly realised that a revival was taking place nearby in Cardiganshire and that many young people, many young people, many young people had received spiritual experiences similar to his own. However, they also had a passion to share the experience with others. This had a powerful effect on him. And then he says this, we have come into contact with the young men and women of Newquay, Newquay in Wales, of Newquay, and the fire has taken hold of us, he says, 26 years old. I think God would have happily done it through a 60-year-old if he could have found one that didn't have a crusty heart. And you can get them at 47 too, can I say. And I see, I see the, the propensity, I see that destiny, if you're not careful. And I say to God, please stop me being grumpy. I don't want to become a grumpy old man. I want to stay absolutely fresh before you. I want to stay with a twinkle in my eye about you when I'm 80. I want someone to mention the name of Jesus when I'm mid-80s and I still shed a tear because he's that beautiful and it's not because I'm reminiscing. Well, I remember that encounter I had with God when I was 50. Oh, God, no. I remember that encounter this morning. I remember what he feels like. I remember how he speaks to me. It is a joy. It is my daily bread. It is my life. That's what we want to be like, isn't it? Six of us, that's good. That's good. Okay, well, I definitely do. So, it's Christmas coming. It is Christmas. It's on its way. We're nearly here. And that's really what this story in the book of Luke, that's what it's about. But Christmas is all about a promise. God made a number of promises. There are about 300 promises pointing to Jesus coming, a Messiah the one who would come and save people. 
from their sins. Many of the people at the time thought, he's going to come and save us from the Romans. Like, no, he's got a bigger, bigger thing than that. He's coming to save us and restore us into relationship. So about 300 prophecies there were, 300 promises made in the Old Testament that speak of Jesus. So here's a fact, right? You've got a one in 1.2 million chance of being struck by lightning. Okay? You've got a one in 1.9 million chance of being killed by said lightning strike. You want to win the lottery? One in 45 million chance of winning the lottery. Jesus had 300 prophetic words, 300 prophecies, promises that were spoken out about him. So the chances of just eight of those, just eight of those 300 prophecies happening in one person is 100 quadrillion. I didn't even know what it was. I had to look up what a quadrillion was. A quadrillion is a thousand trillions. In case you're wondering, it is one, three, six, nine, twelve, fifteen. It is one followed by seventeen zeros. God knows a thing or two about keeping promises. He knows a thing or two about keeping promises. So I want to encourage you this Christmas. I have no idea what promise promises God has spoken over you. I have no idea. But I do know this. God has heard your prayer and he is in the business of keeping promises. He knows a thing or two about it. And the, for God's promises to come, there needs to be a softness of heart from us. For some of you, you may have filed this away on the shelf Maybe it's time to get it back out. Overcome disappointment. Be courageous. Be bold. Say, God, you spoke these words to me 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago. I haven't seen them yet. Can we talk again about it? And God says, oh, I thought you'd never ask. We say, God, I want to position myself in such a way that these things that you've spoken over me come to pass. What do I need to do? How do I need to think? What do I need to do to raise my faith level? God, is there anyone I need to forgive? So do stand. I'd love to just pray for you and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up. We've overrun again. Never mind. Father God, Christmas, more than Santa hats and glitter, is about a God who knows how to keep promises. And God, we don't want crusty hearts like manky old sponges. We want to stay soft. So as the water pours onto that sponge, the sponge immediately starts to absorb it and becomes even more malleable. That's what we want our hearts to be like before you, God, because you are so wonderful. We love you so much. Your love for us is frankly ridiculous. It is so extravagant that even with the whole of eternity, I will still not be at the end of grasping just how much you love me. And just while people have got their eyes closed, if there is anyone who's never actually said yes to knowing God, then maybe today is the day when you just say yes. Maybe right now is the time when you say yes. So while people have got their eyes closed, if you've never known God and would love to, 
just put a hand in the air and we would love just the chance to pray with you. Just give you a moment. Jesus, we love you. You're so beautiful. Thank you for your delight in us. We're so grateful. We love your presence. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.